you didn't know that it was so true. <laughs> In fact, I'm pretty sure those benches were placed there just for guys or because guys were complaining about how long they had, a, they had to wait. Um, before we get going in our sermon study this morning, I wanted to uh, point out the gold insert that you'll find in your service folder. And there's some fill-ins that uh, you can follow along with and fill in there as we uh, study God's word together. Um, you know, even with benches, <laughs> waiting um, can get past the point of frustration, and then as we saw in the video, get into almost like crazy time where you just become delirious in waiting, acting like dinosaurs and boxers and things. It can be frustrating. In fact, um, it can be so frustrating that people go way out of their way to avoid waiting. For instance, uh, when I think of waiting right now, I can't help but think of the intersection of Highview and Dodd over here as I go through that about two, three, four times a day. And there are some times of day when you hit it wrong that there's 30 cars lined up heading from east to west, and you're waiting and waiting. And I I'll sell this for the right price, but I actually have come up with a detour through a neighborhood that saves me at least five minutes. So um, they're redoing the intersection now, so maybe it'll all take care of itself. Um, you see people try to avoid waiting. I know some people that work out of Panera for an hour every morning because then rush hour will be less and they can get to work more easily. Um, grocery shopping, you see those people, maybe you're one of them, that straddles two checkout lines because you don't want to wait and maybe you even send a kid over to one and to see which one gets to the front first because you don't want to wait. Um, Carrie's going to roll her eyes at this, and it's, this is all my issue. But when we go out to eat, and let's say we don't have a, uh, a reservation, um, it's more me. I will have her drop her off at the front while I go and park. And just to get on the list a little quicker, and I've been known to encourage her by going, get ready, go, go, go. There's a big group coming around the corner. We need to get our name on there quickly. It's happened once or twice. Because why? Because we don't like waiting. Now, waiting for your wife at the mall is actually not as big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. But last week as we started off this series, we um, talked about seasons of waiting that are much more challenging than going shopping. And we mentioned things like um, people who are in the season of waiting for a spouse, finding someone to spend their life with, uh, waiting for children. That's something that I know some people in our congregation are waiting on. Um, waiting to feel better or to get healthy or for a loved one to feel better. Waiting for retirement. Waiting for financial freedom or getting out of debt. And there's all these seasons of life in, in which we're waiting. And this time in Moses came onto the scene is a perfect time to talk about waiting because when he came onto the scene, the people of Israel were in a 400-year season of waiting. They were waiting in Egypt, and they were waiting for deliverance, deliverance from slavery, deliverance from Egypt, and also a deliverance to the promised land that God had promised them so many years before. And so in a very real way, generations came and went, and they spent their entire life in this season of waiting on God. And, and that's the scene in which Moses came into. Now, 
Last week, we kicked off this series by taking a look at the first part of Exodus chapter 2. And, and we took a look at how Moses actually survived his birth and the early years of his life. Um, for those who weren't here, the king named, uh, titled Pharaoh, he had given a command that all of the, the Hebrew or the Israelite baby boys, when they were born, if you were a boy and a Hebrew, that you'd be thrown into the Nile River and killed. The, the Egyptians were afraid of how powerful the Israelites were becoming. And so Jochebed, that is Moses' mother, when she saw Moses being born, both the book of Hebrews and also Exodus tell us that she saw in her child, someone special. Uh, the book of Hebrews says that she saw someone who was no ordinary child. Now, we talked last week. We don't know all of what that meant. But there was something in Jochebed that said, I need to do something, that I need to save Moses. And so she hid him for three months, and then she put together this plan where she wouldn't just throw Moses in a basket into the Nile River, but that we looked at how the Bible says she actually went and set him in the reeds in a specific place. She had this plan, and did she know how it would all work out? No, not a clue, for sure. God was in charge of all of it, but we learned two really important things about seasons of waiting, and they're found here on the screen. They're your first fill-ins. This is a review of last week. During times of waiting, what do we do? We just faithfully do what we can do. And what that means is this, that in a season of waiting that you might be in, it doesn't mean that you just do nothing. It doesn't mean that we sit on our hands and, and don't do the things that God has put before us, all right, because I'm waiting on God. No, we leave things to God, but then we take advantage of the opportunities and the things that God has put before us. It's what Jochebed did. Now, the more important part of this season of waiting is the second one. Because as we faithfully do what we can do, as we follow God and follow his direction, more importantly, like Jochebed, we trust God to do only what, what he can only do. To, that we put the results, we put the big plan into his hands. And where else would we put it? into the hands of our creator because he does have a plan for us. So last week, we looked at what do you do when you're in a season of waiting. This week, we're going to look at the second part of Exodus chapter 2. And, and through Moses' life, we're going to see why sometimes do we have to wait. Have you ever asked that question? <laughs> why, Lord? Why am I in this season right now? Why am I in this season of waiting? Now, here's the thing. When you're in the middle of a situation like that, it's really hard to be objective. It's really hard to see the bigger picture when you're living and breathing it. This is why Christian counseling is so important for all of us, to have a Christian counselor, because we all come into situations where we need that third party, that person who is um, Christian and objective and can look into our lives, apply God's word to us, and remind us of things. So as we confront the question, why do we sometimes wait? What might God have in store for us in a season of waiting? We're going to do what a counselor does. We're going to peer into someone else's life. And as you can already bet, we're going to look into this, the life of Moses. 
So we're in Exodus chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. Here's how it goes. One day after Moses had grown up, so we left Moses in verse 10. He's, we're not sure, maybe five, maybe seven years old. The very next verse, he's grown up. He went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. Well, there's this interesting section in the New Testament, um, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, where a Christian named Stephen, he has a, basically a speech, and he sort of encompasses or speaks all about um, Moses' life. And he gives us details about Moses that we don't have here in Exodus. One of them is that, um, well, I think the passage is up here on the screen. Oh, go back a second here, um, is that he was 40 years old. He was 40 years old when um, God, or when he went out and, um, cons- go back again, Dean, I'm sorry. When Moses had grown up in this section, he was 40 years old. Now, what was he doing during all of that time? Well, we don't have a lot written about it, but here's what you can bet happened is that he spent, as we know, spent all of his time in the Egyptian palace and with the Egyptians. Um, And so he was brought up with um, the best of the best. He was raised as a prince of the king. He probably had the best schooling that the world had to offer. He lived in the best types of um, environments. He wore the best clothes, I'm sure, had the best jewelry. He was the son of of a king. At least that's how he was being treated. At the very same time, Moses also would have recognized that he was not an Egyptian, that he was a Hebrew, that he was, by, by his upbringing, or not his upbringing, but by his birth, a Hebrew. And so every day he was confronted with the fact that his people, his native people, were going through some very difficult, hard, vicious treatment by the Egyptians. All right, Dean. So, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, glancing this way and that and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, as I mentioned, Acts chapter 7 gives us even a little more understanding of this entire episode When it's written, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. We just looked at one of our takeaways from last week, that in a season of waiting, that faithfully we do what we can do. And a question might be asked, well, is what Moses did here any different than what Jochebed, his mother, did in trying to save Moses as a young child? And I would say an absolute yes to that. And the biggest difference is found not so much in their actions, although obviously murder is a sin, so that's a big difference, but even more so in their heart. In Acts, it also says 
that Jochebed and Amram, the father of Moses, when they did their plan and fulfilled their plan of saving Moses or trying to, says that they did this by faith. You know what that means? It means they were faithfully doing what they could do. It means that they kept God in the picture. It means that they were trying to fulfill his purposes and his plans and following his direction. God was involved in all of it. For Moses, very, very different. Moses did something, but he did it outside of God's will, outside of God's direction. You know what the deal for Moses was? You saw it in the video. He was tired of waiting. He was sick of waiting on God and his plan, and so he didn't faithfully do what he could do and trust God to do what he, God can do. He went and tried to play God, to be God. Let me ask. I'm sure most of you have spent some time waiting in a minute clinic or a doctor's office or at the ER. And waiting there is even worse than at the mall because not only are you waiting, but a lot of times you're not feeling good either. You either have a really bad sore throat or fever and chills or, like me a few years ago, a gash in my head that's bleeding from basketball or, um, or maybe a broken arm. In those instances, have you ever gotten up while you're waiting, stormed by the reception's desk, went into the room where the doctor is, stole the tools out of his hand, and start stitching up your own wound or gash? Did you ever storm into the doctor's office, rip the tools out of his hands, and start to set your own arm that's broken? Now, there's a lot of reasons we wouldn't do that. But one of the reasons is this. He's the doctor. He went to school. He knows what he's doing. This is what Moses did. He was tired of waiting, so he got out of the waiting room, stormed by the receptionist, grabbed the tools out of God's hand, and tried to make himself the deliverer that he thought he was or was going to be. Do we do the same thing ever? Sometimes we're patient in waiting on God. But have we ever in the midst of our waiting began to doubt whether God even knows what's going on or ripped those tools out of the doctor's hands, that is, kind of went around God, went around God's plan, and we reason, you know what? I know I shouldn't be doing this, but here's my situation, here's my circumstance. God will forgive me later. How easily we can get frustrated with God, get upset with God, and sort of make excuses or reason out the things that we know are going around God's plan or in direct disobeying of his plan because we're tired of waiting too. Have you ever forgotten your kid or child in time out? Have you ever sent your child to time out? And then like 10 minutes later, they're like, Dad, can I get out now? And you're like, oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah, the, the buzzer just went off, you know, and try to cover up the track. Has that ever happened? Isn't that how you feel sometimes with God? God, I'm here. 
And in those circumstances and at those times, we are very tempted to take things into our own hands. Can I tell you something? And this may be all that you needed to hear today. God never forgets his people. And ultimately, we see that through his sending of his son Jesus for us and for you. But God never forgets his people. And he's not going to start with you. Now, there's all these promises that God has given us throughout Scripture. And we could go on and on with promises that God has given us. We looked at some in our first lesson today. I have one up here on the screen from Deuteronomy. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. Here's the promise. He will never leave you nor forsake you. We have these promises, and then you know what else we have? We're able to see throughout history God keeping his promises. You can go throughout the entire Bible, and I guarantee you, you will never find an example where God forgot his people. Think of Abraham. How long, some of you don't know, but how long did he have to wait until he finally got the son that God had promised him? And by the way, Sarah was pretty old as well. A hundred years old, but God kept his promise to his people. Think of Joseph. He's the reason why the Israelites were in Egypt in the first place. But Joseph followed God all his life. He did what was right in the home of Potiphar. And the result was he ends up in jail. But through that, God had this amazing plan for saving the Israelites. God didn't forget his people. Or how about David? He was promised as a younger boy that he would be the king of Israel, but there was a problem. Saul was king, and Saul hated David and tried to kill David, and yet what did David do? He waited, and God ultimately fulfilled his plan. He hadn't forgotten about David like we forget a child in time out. How about the greatest example of God's faithfulness there is? How about the, the centerpiece of our lives and our faith? How about his son Jesus? That plan of salvation, which was the reason why Moses was sent to help deliver the Israelites from Egypt so that the Savior would someday be born. And how about at the end of Jesus' life? He's on the cross why? Because he's paying for our sins. He's dying and suffering the punishment that we deserve. And there's these words that Jesus speaks. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, had the father forgotten about his son? He didn't forget about his son. The father had this plan of salvation that included the very difficult thing of God allowing Jesus to suffer without us so that you and I will never need to be without him in any circumstance and for eternity. In times of waiting, God never forgets his people. So what does he do? Well, that leads us back to chapter 15, or I'm sorry, Exodus 2, um, verse 15. And I'm going to read, Dean, you can just leave the 
the screen the way it is. I'm going to read the, the verses that lead up to that. The next day, verse 13, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said to Moses, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me just like you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this, that Moses had killed an Egyptian, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. So Moses is forced to flee the, the friendly confines of the palace and being an Egyptian um, prince, and he goes to an area called Midian. Now, Midian is no resort area. Um, Midian is a barren desert, okay? There is nothing really in Midian. Next week, in Exodus 3, we're going to be taking a look at the season of waiting for God to call him, that is Moses, being over, and God's going to call him into leadership through the miracle of a burning bush. And where Moses was when he was called was in Midian. Now, because what we're looking at is in chapter 2, don't miss this, and next week is in chapter 3, we might think that the time that Moses spent in Midian, from when he fled there to when he's called, because it's only a few verses later, might be, you know, short, a year, a few months. If you go back to Acts, we're told how long it was. Guess. We've been kind of coming back to a number again and again. Forty years. So, you do the math, okay? Moses is in the Egyptian palace for 40 years. Then he's in a desert wasteland called Midian for 40 years. How old is Moses by the time we get to Exodus chapter 3? Okay, good. I, I know you know math. All right, 80 years old. He lived to 120 Two-thirds of his life was spent doing what, in a way? Waiting. All the stuff you know about Moses and Charlton Heston does and the Ten Commandments, you know, Mount Sinai, the Ten Plagues, the dividing of the Red Sea, all the stuff in the wilderness, all of that happened in the last third of his life. For two-thirds of his life, Two chapters of Exodus, really one. Moses is waiting, and what's God doing in that time frame? Well, I'm going to tell you first, and then we're going to look at it. In times of waiting, God never forgets his people. In times of waiting, God is often preparing his people. God never forgets his people, but he's often in those seasons preparing his people. Um, if I were to ask you to describe with adjectives 40-year-old Moses that we just looked at today who had come and killed an Egyptian, who grew up with all the niceties that the world had to offer, kind of privileged, what sort, this is class participation, what sort of adjectives would you use to describe the 40-year-old Moses that we looked at today? 
okay, right? Kind of took things into his own hands. Anyone else? Are you all with me? <laughs> Cocky, brash, right? Look at Numbers chapter 12. It says, recorded about Moses, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, do you think that's pre-Midian desert 40 years or post-Midian Moses? Hmm. How is God preparing Moses, at least in one way? How can we look into Moses' life and say, you know what, God had a plan for that season of waiting. He was working the attribute of humility in Moses that in one way or another, and God had the full plan, but that Moses needed to be the leader that God would call him to. Here's another one. In what type of area would, God, would Moses spend the last third of his life leading Israel? Two options. One is an all-inclusive resort area along the, the shore of the Nile, okay? The other one is in a desert wasteland around my, Mount Sinai, okay? It's the second one, right? <laughs> the last third of his life, he would be put into a leadership position in a desert. Where did Moses spend the middle third of his life? In a, in a desert, and I'm not saying we have all the details and the scripture doesn't tell us all the details, but it is unmistakable that God was working and preparing Moses for what he would be called to in the season of waiting that he had for the first two-thirds of his life. I'm not going to stand here and say that I know what God is preparing you for in your season of waiting either now or in the future. But here's what I do know. That God has a plan for every moment and every season that you're in. I know, Deuteronomy tells us, that God never forsakes us and that in seasons of waiting, he is often preparing us for something that he's going to do in us, for us, or through us in the future. So in your season of waiting, I'd really encourage you to embrace the season that you're in, to see God's handiwork in the plan of your life, to know that there are no throwaway days, there's no throwaway years, that every season that you're in, that God has a plan, he has a purpose, and he's often preparing us for something, just like Moses, that will come in the future. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the leader named Moses who even thousands of years later through his life, you're directing us, you're, you're showing us your presence. And Lord, as, as we consider your work in Moses' life, Help us remember that while our lives may not be exactly the same, that the same promises that are true for Moses, those same promises are true for us. And in seasons of waiting in which, Lord, is so difficult at times, we'd ask, first of all, for your grace, presence, and forgiveness when maybe we haven't reacted the way we should. 
to point us to Jesus, to know that there is forgiveness. And then through Jesus, remind us of your love. Give us the strength we need for each day. And if it's your will, bring us out of that season that we might serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.